We're going to have our Bible reading now. The first reading is from Psalm 65, and it's on page 557 in the Pew Bible. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who answer prayer, to you all flesh shall come. When deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, you forgive our transgressions. Happy are those whom you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. By your strength you establish the mountains. You are girded with might. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. Those who live at earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and the evening shout for joy. And the second reading is from Luke 18. And it's verses 9 to 14, page 87 in the Pew Bible. He also, that's Jesus, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, This man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your desire is to speak with us. And we pray this morning you would give us ears to listen and hearts to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're coming to the end of our journey through some of Luke's parables. And um, we just heard there, Hazel read for us, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's a story that Jesus tells that is directed at those that trust in themselves for righteousness, those that regard others with contempt. And it's a story about two men going to the temple to pray. 
one of them, a Pharisee, stands by himself and he thanks God for not being like other sinners. And he tells God how good he is by fasting and tithing. The other man, the tax collector, stands further away and doesn't look up to heaven. But he beats his breast and cries out to God for mercy. And Jesus ends by saying, it is the tax collector that goes home justified rather than the Pharisee. For all who exalt themselves, Jesus says, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. It's quite a short story, and at my house group this week, we looked at it together, and we tried to summarise it, to say in one sentence or so what we thought it meant. Now, at first glance, there's a very clear moral message about humility. The Pharisee isn't humble at all. In fact, he's actually like those that the story is aimed at. He regards others with contempt, saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. The tax collector, on the other hand, stands far away. He keeps his head down. He beats his breast and cries out for mercy to God. He is the more humble of the two. And he he is exalted. Therefore, the moral of the story is that we should be humble like the tax collector and not arrogant like the Pharisee. Well, that's easy then, isn't it? I'll go and sit down. We're finished. Is that all that this parable is for us? Well, yes and no. It is a message definitely about humility. But actually, when you go deeper into this issue of humility, as we did at House Group this week, we run a risk of running into a real trap. You see, we all want to say that we aren't like the Pharisee, don't we? We all want to say, well, we don't stand around in prayer thanking God that we aren't like other people, do we? We want to say... We aren't arrogant and contemptuous in our prayers. We want to say, we're more like the tax collector. We are humble. But you know, the moment you begin to claim that you are humble, you've stopped being humble. We have to be very careful that our prayer doesn't turn out sounding a bit like this. Lord, we thank you that we are not like other people, contemptuous, self-righteous, or even like that Pharisee in the parable. We read our Bibles every day. We come to church every week. We listen attentively to the sermon. And we have learned that we should always be humble. There's a trap. We have to be very careful when we talk and think about humility. We all know when someone tells you how humble they are, they aren't actually being humble at all. Reader, beware. So this parable is about a lot more than just humility. Like all parables, there are layers that we can unpeel. And there are two layers particularly that I want to focus on this morning. The first one for us to think about is prayer. Think for a moment about the way that these two men in the story pray. The Pharisee's prayer goes like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of half of my income. The Pharisee's focus is all about himself and on what he has done. But listen to the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
the focus of his prayer is very much on God. Let's hold those two prayers in our mind for a moment and think back to what Jesus has taught us about prayer in chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel. Jesus says to them there, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. The way Jesus taught his friends to pray, the Lord's Prayer as we know it today, is completely centred on God. The first part is about God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. And then it turns and focuses on our need of God for our daily bread, for our forgiveness, and for our deliverance from trials. The Pharisee's prayer has no need of God at all. It's about everything he's done for himself. In his prayer, is simply coming to God to tell him about his deeds. There's no acknowledgement of who God is. There's no acknowledgement of what God's done. There's no need asked of God at all. The tax collector's prayer, on the other hand, recognises God's holiness and his own need for God's mercy. His prayer, in contrast, demonstrates an utter dependence on God. And so as I've thought about this parable this week, I've wondered how my prayers sound to God, how our prayers sound to God. And I mean the individual prayers that we pray at home. I wonder if they really do begin by acknowledging who God is. I wonder if they really recognize our need for him and his mercy. I wonder if our prayers are as wholehearted and fervent as that of the tax collector, or if perhaps sometimes we become a little bit complacent, a little bit self-centered in our prayers. I wonder if sometimes we are more focused on ourselves than on God. I think this parable has something really important to challenge us about, about our prayer life. But the next layer of the parable is the one that I think is really at the heart of what it's about. And we find it there in verse 14, where it uses this word, justified. This parable is really about how the two men are justified before God. And the word justified simply means put right with made righteous. In this context, we're thinking about how the two men are put right with God. The Pharisee tells us why he thinks he's justified or righteous, and it's through the law. He's kept the commandments, he fasts, and he tithes. He leads a righteous life. The tax collector, on the other hand, knows that he has broken the law and led an unrighteous light life and he throws himself on God's mercy and yet Jesus tells us it is the tax collector who is justified how does this happen what has he done to deserve it he has simply come before God and confessed his sin and it's through that humble confession that he's put right that he is counted as righteous and he is exalted and this happens through God's grace and it might seem almost too easy. It might seem countercultural in a world where we learn that there's no such thing as a free lunch. But God's grace is exactly that. It's freely given. It's this mysterious love gift from God of his goodness. And it's available to all those that turn to him, asking for his mercy because of Jesus and his death on the cross. 
God's grace is his favour freely available to all those that seek mercy. God's grace is what enables our sin to be forgiven. God's grace allows us to be put right. God's grace is a free gift just because God loves us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We never deserve it. And God always promises to give it. His love gift to make us right with him. You see, the Pharisee has been taught that keeping the law and the commandments will make him righteous. And in the story that we heard, he isn't exalted. You see, he's missed the point of the law and the commandments. They were actually there, they were actually given to enable the people of Israel to live in a right relationship with God. That was the point of them. It was all about relationship. You can be in relationship with God by doing these things. The the Pharisee had kept the law and the commandments, but his relationship with God still was barely there. His heart wasn't in it. He had become so reliant on his own righteous acts to put him right with God that he had no need of God at all. He had no relationship. The tax collector, on the other hand, recognises that he is utterly dependent on God and through God's grace is justified and exalted. All who humble themselves will be exalted. All who recognise their complete dependence on God and their need of his mercy and grace to put them right, all will be lifted up. All those, then, that are in a relationship with God. There's nothing wrong with what the Pharisee was doing but he was missing out on the whole point of why he was doing it. God designed us to be in relationship with him, to acknowledge our need of him and to receive and return his love for us. He didn't design us to keep a mechanical set of rules to try and impress him. And so let's spend a few moments thinking about our relationship with God. Because I think our relationship with God means a little bit more than simply reading our Bible and saying our prayers and coming to church. A relationship means having a two-way line of communication. It means spending time together. It means just being together sometimes. It means making changes to the way that we live because of that relationship as we adapt to the other party. I've been really challenged about this recently. I've been really challenged about making sure that my relationship with God is living and growing and flourishing and not simply becoming a routine. You see, I am somebody who generally loves my work. I love filling my days with work. I have quite a driven personality and I have a tendency to overwork. I can very easily fill my day with work. I also hate housework and most things associated with running a household. So I choose, when the family aren't around, to spend my time in my study rather than the kitchen, which means that the one day a week that I set aside for not doing church work, I have to do everything else that I've been putting off all week. Shopping, cleaning out the fridge, washing, changing beds and just occasionally even housework and ironing. Working and running the family and the home can fill my week. And yes, I have my daily quiet times, but those aren't quite the same as hanging out with God for refreshment times. Sabbath, 
time that we were designed for and commanded to keep. I might rest from work one day a week, but I'm busy on that day, very busy. I'm not resting in God. I'm not allowing him to recreate me. I'm not allowing time to appreciate his creation or to exercise my gifts of creativity. I'm not allowing myself time to listen to God say that he loves me. And I'm not allowing myself time to tell him how much I love him. And yet these are the times that build relationships. These are the things that keep relationships alive. And so over this summer, while I've been a little bit quieter, I've tried to take more time off to rest and to be restored by God, to be refreshed by him. And I realize that as I do that, that I need more time just to be with God because he likes it and because I like it and because it draws me closer to him. As our relationship with God deepens, as we manage to put ourself and our daily concerns and our good deeds to one side, and as we do manage to spend time in his presence, we realize much more how far we fall short of his ways. We realize how holy he is and how sinful we are. And I think it's at that moment, that moment of recognition that God, out of his goodness and love, chooses to exalt us. We're transformed at that moment. We are made righteous. We're justified, not because of anything we've done, but simply because of who God is and his relationship with us, because of his great love for each and every one of us. So let's never fall into that trap of thinking we can earn God's favour by having a quiet time every day. Because we can't. God wants our hearts. And equally, let's not fall into the trap of thinking that we can never be accepted or forgiven because the things that we've done are too terrible. Because God's grace and mercy is freely offered to all those that acknowledge their need of God's mercy. So I've talked about three layers of this parable this morning. We've talked about humility. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about how we are justified by grace through our relationship with God and not by our own efforts. But I want to finish by telling you about a game that I once had to take part in. It was as part of a Christian youth camp and it was a game designed to test our knowledge of the Bible and our theology. In this game, all the young people had to stand in the middle of the room. And the leaders then told us to choose one of the sides of the room to go to. Go to this side if you think you are a saint. Go to this side if you think you are a sinner. You had 10 seconds to decide. Couldn't stay in the middle. And then the leaders would come down, the young people that had chosen this side or this side and ask them why they'd made the choice that they'd made. And ask them for a Bible verse that backed up their belief. It was quite a cruel game, really, because as we all know, there's no one side that is correct. But what I think it was, was a really useful tool for the leaders to work out exactly how the young people saw themselves before God. And I've thought about that game this week, It obviously traumatized me because it stayed with me for a very long time. But I've thought about it again this week when I've read this passage because it's a passage that considers us, asks us to consider where we stand before God. Will we stand with the Pharisee? Will we stand with the tax collector? 
The truth, of course, as we know, is that we are both sinners and saints. We're all sinners. The Bible is very clear about that. We all fall short and come to God as sinners. But when we come to him as sinners, acknowledging our sinfulness and asking for mercy, then through Jesus and his death on the cross, then we are transformed by his grace and we become saints. That might sound odd, but according to the Bible, a saint is not someone who has been designated as a saint by the church. A saint is not someone who has done wonderful, selfless things. The word saint means sacred, pure, blameless, put right, holy. And it's a word that is used in the New Testament to describe those who belong to the body of Christ, those who are saved by grace through faith, those like you and me. So are you a sinner? Yes. Are you a saint? Yes, if you've asked God for his mercy. And most days, as most of us know, we live our lives in a tension caught between those two extremes. I'm going to finish in just a moment. And I'm going to finish by playing a track of music. It's very short. It's just less than two minutes. But it's simply the words of the prayer that the tax collector prayed. And this prayer is commonly known as the Jesus Prayer. And lots of Christians in different traditions will use it daily. They meditate on each word in turn as they contemplate their own need of God's mercy and as a starting point to receive his grace. And so instead of closing in prayer in a moment, as I would normally do, we're just going to listen to this track And I'd like to encourage you as you listen to focus either on the layers of the parable as we've unwrapped them this morning, on humility, on keeping our prayers centred on God, not ourselves, and on receiving God's grace. Or you might prefer instead to simply focus on each word in turn. But as you sit and listen with a humble heart, just be prepared this morning for God to come to you and by his grace begin to transform you and exalt you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy.